Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Alpine Church. It's great to see you all here this morning. And if it happens to be your first time with us, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We hope you feel very welcome. And really, it's our goal that, that we will be able to help you pursue God today. If we haven't met before, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus. And then I get the opportunity to teach at other campuses about once each month. And I feel like it's been a while since I've been to Syracuse, so I'm excited to be here. And can I just say... You guys inspire me, the Syracuse campus and what you do every week, the setup and the teardown and the extra work that you do that a lot of our campuses, none of our other campuses have to do, you guys inspire me, your faithfulness. God will honor that faithfulness in the little things. And my hope for you guys this Christmas season is that you really would have high expectations about what God's going to do right here and right now. I know it could be easy to think about what God will do when you have a permanent location, what God will do when you have your own building, and there's certainly nothing wrong to be excited about the future, but I hope you're excited about what God wants to do right now, because I'm telling you, God's going to show up in some amazing and some unexpected ways this Christmas season, because that's what he does. That's what we've been talking about in this series, the unexpected, and that's what we're going to continue to talk about today. Today, we're in our second week of expecting Jesus, and Last week, we looked at the fact that there were some unexpected members of Jesus' family tree, some unlikely characters in his genealogy. And today, we're going to continue to talk about some of the unexpected elements to the backstory of Jesus. And we think about it, there's actually an irony here when we say anything about Jesus was unexpected. Because for the Jewish nation, the coming Messiah was anything but unexpected. They were not only expecting it, they were longing for it. They were hoping for it. They were praying for it. They were talking about it for generations. And yet when it happened, many of them missed it. So They had a preconceived notion of what Jesus was going to do. What the Messiah would look like. How he would accomplish his mission. And when Jesus didn't fit in their box, so many of them missed him. And I don't think that's something that's limited to first century Jews. I think the same thing can happen to you and me today if we're not careful. See, some of you have expectations about how Jesus is going to show up this Christmas season. You have certain needs or certain wants that you're expecting him to meet and you're expecting him to meet those in a particular way. You already have laid out in your mind how he wants to use you this Christmas season, but what if he wants to do something unexpected? What if he wants to show up and do something different? Will you see it? Will you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading or will you get stuck in your box? My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that all of us would be sensitive that we would receive that and that we'd be excited no matter what Jesus has for us, that we'd be excited to follow wherever he leads because we're going to see today that that's how Mary And Joseph responded when God threw something very unexpected at them, an unexpected pregnancy. Now, the details behind their unexpected pregnancy are far different than probably anything you and I have experienced. But I'll bet we can relate to some of the emotions that were going through Mary and Joseph when they got the news. So can any of the ladies in here remember what you felt like when you first found out you were pregnant? Or any of the men when you first found out your wife was pregnant? I remember when my wife was pregnant with our fourth child, Hannah. 
We thought we were done at three. We were planning to be done at three. In fact, we were just having conversations about the old snip-snap procedure. (laughs) And then we were on vacation in Disneyland with our three older kids. And we were standing in line for the Tower of Terror. And I look over at the sign that says, expectant mothers and those with heart conditions should really be careful if you ride this ride. And it hit me. I was like, Rhonda's pregnant. She hadn't told me she was pregnant. She hadn't been sick. There was no reason in the world I should have thought that, but I knew, and I was not excited. In fact, I didn't ask her on vacation because I knew it would ruin my whole vacation if she said, yes, I am. So the day, I'm just being honest. So the day we got home from vacation, I'm like, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she goes, yep, I am. Now, after a day or two, I got super excited, and, and Hannah's been nothing but a blessing to us. But standing in the line there at Disneyland, it was like a punch to the gut. I don't know if any of you guys have similar reactions or similar stories, but I want you to think about the emotions of Mary and Joseph because these were real people who had real hopes, real dreams, real plans for their life, and then God came in and turned everything upside down. Think about that as we go through this. See, Mary and Joseph were a part of God's redemptive plan. They didn't know it ahead of time. But the Bible says that God had this plan laid out before the foundations of the world were set. See, with God's perspective or from God's perspective, there's no such thing as an unexpected pregnancy or an unexpected anything for that matter. And God's sovereignty and God's foreknowledge, nothing ever catches him off guard. But it was definitely unexpected for them. And they found themselves with a calling on their lives to give up their own hopes and dreams and submit to God's plan. And they also found themselves under a calling to protect this little baby as he grew in wisdom and stature. And I think as believers, you and I have a similar calling. We are called to submit to God's plans when he wants to change the plans that we've made. And we're called to preserve and serve Jesus' legacy There is a calling in every believer's life to preserve and serve Jesus' legacy. Now, you and I aren't called to physically protect Jesus like Joseph was. Joseph was warned in a dream to flee to Egypt because Herod was going to try and kill this baby who was born the king of the Jews. So that's not our calling. But we are called to proclaim and protect the teachings of Jesus. I think it's more important than ever that we do that. Because there are people out there who profess to be Christians who are attributing things to Jesus that he never said and never did. I just recently watched a YouTube video from a pastor who said that Jesus was guilty of racism in his interaction with the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Then he said Jesus recognized that and he repented of it. What? Like, are you serious? I commented on his video. I said, friend, if that's true, we're all doomed to hell. If that's true, if Jesus wasn't perfect, if he sinned and had to repent for his sin, then his sacrifice on the cross wasn't worthy, and you and I are headed straight to hell. No comment back. Now, I I prayed about that before I wrote that. I prayed, God, please don't let me do this out of spite. Don't let me do this just to prove a point. And God said, no, you need to defend the perfection of Jesus. And we're going to have more and more opportunities to defend the teachings of Jesus in our culture. That's the way it's headed. That's going to bring us to our first point in today's sermon. 
It takes a divine messenger to help us understand the grace of God. We're going to kick this off in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. So if you have your Bible and want to follow along. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now let's fill in some of the backstory here in case you're not familiar with it. It starts out by saying in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so you might be asking, well, who's Elizabeth, right? What does that have to do with anything? So Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Elizabeth is married to a guy named Zechariah who happens to be a priest in Israel. And like Elizabeth, or excuse me, like Mary, Elizabeth gets news about an unexpected pregnancy. If we were to back up in Luke chapter 1, we'd see that Zechariah and Elizabeth are getting older in years. They're barren. They haven't been able to have children. And one day, Zechariah is serving in the temple of the Lord, and an angel appears. In fact, it's the same angel, Gabriel, who would later appear to Mary. And the angel says, Elizabeth is going to get pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even while he's in the womb. And he's going to turn the hearts of many of the children of Israel back to God. And you are to name him John. You guys would know him as John the Baptist. So that's what happens earlier in the chapter. And then Zechariah asks the angel, how do I know this is really going to happen? Because I'm getting pretty old and Elizabeth is no spring chicken either. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. And he has sent me to give you this news. And now because you didn't believe it, you're not going to be able to talk until all of these things have come to pass. So Zechariah comes out of the temple. He's mute. He can't speak. And sure enough, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And so it's about six months after Elizabeth becomes pregnant that God sends Gabriel to another woman to tell someone else about an unexpected pregnancy. And that's when he goes to visit Mary. And he says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. See, Mary is the recipient of God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing on us. That's what grace is. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's based in God's character, not our character. And even with a divine messenger, at first, it doesn't make sense to Mary. Here's how she replies. It says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. I love the honesty of Scripture. It says Mary was confused and disturbed. And she was that way before the angel even started talking about the pregnancy thing. She was confused and disturbed that the angel said, you have found favor with God. So this speaks to Mary's humility. There was nothing in Mary's spirit that said, well, of course I found favor in God. Look at what a good person I am. No, she didn't understand it. That's the same response we have 
when we truly begin to understand about the grace of God. We recognize there's no reason in the world he should have favor on me. There's nothing I've done to deserve it. Thank God that he does have grace and mercy towards me, but I didn't do anything to earn it. Then it says Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. I think that's instructive for us. So she heard a word from God and she thought about it. Do we do the same thing? When we hear the words of God, when we're in his book, do we think about what the words really mean? Do we ponder them? Do we chew on them? And then Gabriel reassures her. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Then he gets into this message about how she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And he says, you're going to name him Jesus. So Gabriel had told Zechariah what to name his son, and now he tells Mary what to name her son. And he says all these amazing things about what Jesus is going to do. See, Mary needed a divine messenger to understand God's grace. Just like you and I need a divine messenger to understand God's grace. Now, for us, it probably wasn't an angel. If it was an angel, I would love to hear your story. Come, come connect with me after the service. But for you, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a youth leader, maybe it was a close friend or a mentor, but someone told you about God's undeserved, unmerited love and favor towards you. And in addition to that earthly messenger, for each and every one of us, God himself, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually opened our eyes to receive that truth. This is how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. I want to encourage you to think about who was that divine messenger in your life that first turned you on to the gospel. That there was an integral part in you putting your faith in Jesus if you've put your faith in Jesus. And I want to challenge you this holiday season, if they're still alive, reach out to them. Thank them for being faithful to God's calling to be a messenger. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do is I want you to pray about to whom is God calling you to be a messenger this Christmas season? Where is God calling you to go to tell someone about his undeserved love and favor. I'll bet it's probably not Nazareth. It might be your work. It might be your school. It might be the big family gathering you're going to at Christmas. But where is God calling you to be a messenger? And I encourage you to step out in faith and do that. That's going to lead us to the second point for today's sermon. A divine child requires a divine conception. Now, I recognize as we get to this point in the message... Some of you might either be skeptical or you might be apathetic about the virgin birth. If you would say you're skeptical, I appreciate your honesty. I would just remind you of this, that the God who is powerful enough to speak the entire universe into existence with just his word is a God who could make a virgin conception with no issues at all. We serve a powerful God. And I don't know the biology behind exactly how he did it. God's ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. And a God that I could fully comprehend wouldn't be much of a God. But the Bible is clear about the virgin birth. So don't be skeptical. Keep asking questions. I also recognize you might be apathetic. You might be thinking, well, does it really matter one way or the other? 
Well, if that's your attitude, I would just say as gently as I can, you're mistaken and it does matter. It's actually very important and there are several reasons why. In fact, to the early Christians, it mattered so much, it was part of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This isn't the entire Apostles' Creed. This is just an excerpt from it. But an abbreviated version of the Apostles' Creed goes all the way back to the second century. And the version that we use now was kind of formalized in the fifth century. And the purpose of the Apostles' Creed was to combat heresies that were prevalent in the day and to defend essentials of the Christian faith. So the early church leaders thought the virgin birth was so essential to the faith, they included it in the Apostles' Creed. So why is it so important? Well, there are several reasons. First, it's what the Bible says happened. And the Bible is our source for truth. So if that's what the Bible says, then that's what we take to the bank. In Matthew 1.18, it says it like this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke also comments on it in his gospel. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So we see it was important enough in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels to confirm the reality of the virgin birth. The second reason it's so important is it's a fulfillment of prophecy. See, long before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. We see it in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And that brings us to the third reason the virgin birth matters. Jesus couldn't have had a paternal father. If Jesus would have had an earthly father and an earthly mother, he would have had a fallen nature. He would have had a sinful nature. There's no way he would have been able to live a perfect life. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, his perfection is essential. So God with us, Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, not an earthly man. But yet Jesus had to be born of a woman. Because if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the first mention of the Messiah, God is talking to the serpent after the serpent's tricked Adam and Eve into sinning. And he tells the serpent that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And your offspring is going to strike her offspring's heel, but he is going to crush your head. In all of that prophecy there, there's no mention about the man's offspring, only the woman's offspring. So again, Jesus had to be born of a woman, but he couldn't be born of a man. Matthew 1.21 says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, the only way Jesus could do that was to live a perfect life. And the only way he could live a perfect life is because he was fully God and the virgin birth. Here's how Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus never sinned, but he was made the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God. Jesus experienced every temptation you and I experience. In fact, I would say he experienced them to a greater degree because he never caved in. Like for me, when the whole temptation scale ratchets up to about a seven or an eight, I usually give in. Jesus never did. He experienced more temptation than likely you and I will ever face, and he remained perfect. And it's only possible because he was fully God. Matthew makes this connection in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Matthew knew the connection between the prophecy about the virgin birth and Jesus being the fulfillment of the Messiah. And he knew that the virgin birth mattered. And that's going to take us into our last point for today's sermon, that Jesus gives a divine calling to ordinary people. Now, we've talked about Mary. We've talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah. But there's another figure in this story, another real person whose life was turned upside down with this unexpected pregnancy. Someone who had real plans and real hopes for the future that all got turned on their head, and that is Joseph. We're going to a little bit more about Joseph's story in Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph is one of those characters in the Bible I really wish it told us more about. I wish I knew more about what kind of dad Joseph was after Jesus was born, what kind of husband he was, because the little bit we do know about Joseph, man, he seems like a stud. Like, he just seems like a great guy. So here Joseph is. We know that they were engaged. The actual, the actual word would have been betrothed, which is even more serious than an engagement because in their culture, that not only would have involved Mary and Joseph, it would have involved their fathers. And their fathers would have had to give approval for the relationship. So they're betrothed to be married. And I want you to think about what's going through Joseph's mind and how this plays out. So he's engaged to Mary, everything's going well. Mary gets this message from an angel. And if we were to keep on reading in Luke chapter 1, it says, a couple of days after Gabriel visited Mary, she left to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. So she gets the message from Gabriel that she's going to become pregnant. Mary does, and she leaves. Now Elizabeth lives in the hill country of Judea. That's about 80 miles away from Galilee. She comes back a little over three months later. So Mary likely stayed with Elizabeth until after John the Baptist was born. If you look at the timeline of events, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. When Mary got the news, she goes out and hangs out for over three months. So she's probably there when John the Baptist is born. She comes back to her hometown. She comes back to her hometown, and by now she's close to four months pregnant. So what does Joseph think? Dude, she slept around when she was visiting her cousin. He's crushed. He's heartbroken. His fiance, his future bride, comes back from being out of town four months pregnant. I can only imagine what that felt like for him. 
And some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you have been through something similar. But in spite of that, it says Joseph wants to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to make a spectacle out of her just so he can feel better about himself. So he's looking for a way to do this. He's looking for a way to kind of divorce her quietly so she doesn't have to face the public shame. And this decision is weighing on Joseph, it says, as he considered this in the translation we're reading. Some translations say, but while he thought about these things, his mind is swirling. He's got all these thoughts spinning around. How could she do this to me? What about all the plans we had? What about our future? And at the same time, I don't want her to be humiliated. How can I do this the right way? And then he has a dream, and an angel says, Joseph, son of David. Now, the way the angel addresses Joseph, he knows something serious is coming. Because David isn't his dad. So when the angel says, son of David, he's referencing his ancestor, King David. It's kind of like when you were little, and your mom and dad called you by your first and middle name. Like, it was serious. Like, if I heard John Paul from the other room, I was like, oh, man, I'm in trouble now. Like, where's this going? Kind of that same type of greeting. And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. On one hand, that had to be such a relief to Joseph to know that Mary hadn't been unfaithful, to know that Mary was still a virgin. That had to be such a relief to him. That had to bring so much healing. But that didn't make everything easy. Joseph knew it was still going to be tough. Joseph knew it was still going to be really hard. Joseph lived in a small town, and Joseph lived in a culture where you could still be stoned for adultery. You could still be stoned for taking the honor of a young woman before she was your wife. He knew people would talk. He knew people would make accusations. They would either accuse Mary of being unfaithful to him while she was away, or they would accuse him of sleeping with her before they got married. I can only imagine how many times Joseph had to just walk away to keep from punching some guy who was talking about Mary. And that's what Joseph would have done. He would have walked away. He's a righteous man. And this wouldn't have stopped just at Jesus' birth. It would have continued for years. And Joseph knew all of this. And I bring that up because just because we know God is involved doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You and I need to remember that. Just because God has called us to do something, just because God's in the middle of it, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It might still be very, very hard. And so knowing all of that, how does Joseph respond? We see it in chapter 1, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Man, I love that. He didn't think about it for days or weeks. He didn't go around whining, complaining, and you know, kicking the dog. No, when he woke up, he obeyed and took Mary to be his wife. To be his wife. And Mary responds the same way to her angelic messenger. So how does Mary respond with the news of what's going to happen to her? Chapter 1, verse 37 and 38, Mary says, For the word of God will never fail, Mary responded. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary's no dummy. She's just as aware as Joseph is about what this is going to mean for them. She knows about all the dirty looks. She knows about all the backhanded comments that are going to be coming for years down the road. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you say come true about me. Now, based on cultural norms, 
And based on the fact that Joseph, we know, had to register for the census, Joseph is probably about 18 years old at this time. Mary's probably 14 or 15. Still kids in a lot of ways. But Joseph acts like a man. And Mary acts like a woman. And they're obedient and they're humble. I'm so inspired by their courage and humility. And can I just say, young people, God wants to use you now. God doesn't want to wait 10 or 15 years to use you when you're older. God wants to use you right now. God wants to use you to share Jesus with someone at school. God God wants to use you to save yourself for marriage, even though everybody around you is going to tease you and make fun of that. God wants to use you to start that Bible study on campus or to start that small group in your home. And I know it's scary, and I know it'll be tough. I cannot promise you it'll be easy just because God's calling you to do it, but I can promise you it'll be worth it. I can promise you you'll look back and you'll see God show up in amazing ways. Last week in Logan, I was talking with the parents of a 10-year-old who has started a Bible study at school. So every day at recess, she leads a Bible study. She's got about four little girls who are doing it with her. And her parents said, to be honest with you, Pastor John, we tried to talk her out of it. We told her, if you do this, you're going to get teased. She said, Jesus went to the cross. I can take a little teasing. And she's already facing opposition. (laughs) She came home the other day and she says, Mom and Dad, I'm being framed. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You've been watching too much TV. What do you mean you're being framed? And she said, well, somebody wrote my name and then WWJD in the bathroom stall to make it look like me, like I wrote on the stall. She says, but I didn't do it. I don't know who did it. She said, but it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep doing my Bible study. I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. Young people, I know how tough it is to live for Jesus. It's tougher for you to do it than when I was young, and I know how tough it was when I was young. But I just want you to know when you step out in faith and you do that, you inspire me. You give me great courage when I see our young people following Jesus. For those of us who are not so young anymore, are we setting the right example for the next generation? Are you and I willing to step out in faith when it's going to be uncomfortable? when it's going to be difficult, when maybe we're going to face some ridicule. See, when God comes along in unexpected ways this Christmas season, and I promise you he's going to, will we say, I'm your humble servant. Whatever you want to do, God, is fine with me. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is we'll have the humility and the courage to do that. And let's be excited about the unexpected this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you continue to show up. And you continue to show up in unexpected ways, but I am grateful that it's not unexpected to you. I am so grateful to God that nothing catches you off guard, nothing is a surprise to you. That's given me so much comfort over the years. And so God, I just want to lift up anyone here today that is maybe in the middle of something that was totally unexpected for them. Maybe it is an unexpected pregnancy. Maybe it's an unexpected financial difficulty. Maybe it's an unexpected health issue. God, whatever it is, Would you just remind them that you are sovereign even in the unexpected? You are still God and you are still good. And you will use it in their life if they allow you to. God, I I do just want to pray for our young people. And I want to pray for Pastor Jason as he leads them. It's so tough right now, God. I look at what my kids battle, things that I never bowed, at least not at their age. God, I just pray that they would recognize that that truly you want to use them right now. This isn't some holding period in their life where they're just kind of buying their time and then you're going to use them later. 
you have things for them right now. I just pray they'd have the courage to step out and do that. And I pray that, that we would support them in that, that we would be praying for them, that we would be helping them any way that we can. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.